three songs podcast. That's no it's, it's hard to cut that puppy off. Right, right. That yeah. goes on for seven eight. plus minutes. That's uh, <clears throat> uh, our our guest host tonight. That's Nels Klein from the Nels Klein Trio. Um, first, this is episode one sixty three, three songs podcast, June second, two thousand twenty one. Bob Nastanovich, Mike Hogan, happy to welcome Mr. Nels Klein to the show. Fantastic. Hello, everyone. Hello. Nels. Lovely to be here. Nels. Yeah, thanks, Nels. Hey, man. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited that you're here. We've been we've been trying to do this for a while. Um, I think, boy, you first sent your three songs to me back in 2019 sometime. So Yeah. <laughs> That shows how long we've been um, thinking about this. So, thank you and welcome. Yeah, well, it's nice to finally do this. I'm sorry I kept postponing. Oh, it wasn't That's just cool, you. Dude. It wasn't just you, man. Um, but we, we do a lot of postponing between ourselves, anyway. That's right. <laughs> but you know, of course, Nels, you and I go way back. That intro yes. bit uh, was from well, that was yes. bath from chest. Um, yeah. which I released on Little Brother. Um, what year was that? That was recorded in 93, right, Nels? And then it finally well, saw the light of the, day. The original, the original batch was recorded in 93. I can't remember when I added the like two or three other songs right. to it to flesh yeah. things out aesthetically um, and to make it more, I guess, I don't know, listener unfriendly um and, and uh it's it is one of my uh proudest achievements uh kind of the i don't know what you would call it you know the, certainly the most epic of the old trio recordings and a lavishly produced package uh thanks to your your kindness well, Mr. Mike Hogan. you know uh, Nels, it's beautiful it was a pleasure for me to be able to to be involved in that and you and I first I think we first communicated in probably 92 uh you got my name through Mike Watt for the Minutemen compilation that I was putting together and um you know I, I said I think it was Joe Biza that started all this oh yeah that makes sense um yeah I, I said the same thing to you that I said to like pretty much everybody that reached out to me um, without. You're too late. <laughs> no, it was like, yeah, just, just you know, send me your song and you know, I'll, t I'll take a listen. It was kind of a brush off. And you actually did. <laughs> and it was an incredible song. And we also, I think, started communicating and started having phone conversations and ended up like just becoming fantastic friends and you lived in southern california Super at the time I, and that's when i realized also well it's actually two songs mike it was self-referenced that's right an instrumental version of west germany that's right by the Minutemen. that's right um, our band could be your life or no no it's from uh, uh that's the book right no that was the um, album too yeah our band oh, could okay. be your life yeah all right all right i put out um, the album before the book came out by the way okay very good smart <laughs> man um <laughs> but, but then I later learned that I had sold records to you That's right. when you were a teenager uh, when I was working at Rhino Records in West Los Angeles. That's right. And, and, and when I put it all together in my uh, disintegrating brain, I realized I kind of really remembered selling you those records because you looked like a kid when I met you and you kind of still look like a kid now. <laughs> 
<laughs> you have a youthful. It's all that air. good clean living, though. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mike's exemplary. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was. It's it's funny. I mean, it, it's been boy almost thirty years that we've known each other, and you know, I'm I'm yikes. Uh, when you recorded <laughs> Chest, uh, you sent mm-hmm. me a, a copy on cassette. And I think I listened to it in my car, especially, but like all places, for about two years before I mustered up the courage to ask if you'd let me release it. <laughs> so, um, well, it was supposed to come out SST. Wow. You remember this, yeah, Mike? I, d- I do remember this. Yeah, I had forgotten, but I do remember this. Yeah, well, I won't go into the drama that was related to that. Bob, did we lost you? Are you okay? It's still. Um... Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping up. Um, it's still available, right? Mike, it you can it get is. It from your, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, one of the little-known facts about modern life. Right. The record is not out of print. It's not. A, it's never yeah, been out made, of print. Like, they made eighty thousand copies, and they've sold seventy-nine thousand six hundred. <laughs> and That's there's right. still four hundred right. left. That's there's right. Four hundred yeah. left, and you can get them on Mike's uh, little brother Bandcamp page, right? Yep. That's right. Well, yeah. Well, or, give us the give us the web address, you know, for. Uh, um, all those weren't lucky enough to get a free copy like myself. Well, for <laughs> for chest in particular, it's um, nelskleintrio.bandcamp.com. Um, you can find it. I'm learning as I sit here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Who were the other two characters in the um, in the trio? It was Michael Preussner on the drum set, uh, yeah. my old pal from high school, and. Uh, on chest, it's Bob Mayer. That's M-A-I-R, not M-A-Y-E-R, on bass. Fantastic. And are you in touch with those guys? Uh, yeah, not so much. Yeah. And, like, I, I, I found out recently, like, um, I didn't know you were a twin. Identical. Yeah. And, and you've, you've played a lot of music with your, with your brother. Absolutely. Yeah, we did everything together growing up. And music became our obsession. And uh, lucky me, because I always had this amazing drummer to play with. And I was not amazing. But my brother was certainly, uh, like, just really fantastic drummer from really almost the very beginning. Just one of those guys. When did he start when he was, like, 10? Well, no, we both kind of started around 12, I guess. Uh, But, you know, that was 1967. And you're so, in L.A.? Yes, sir. Born and raised in, in L.A.? Yes, as was my father, yeah. or our father. Um, yeah, and it was a really exciting time to be listening to just pop music on the radio yeah. at that time. It was so intoxicating. And, and, uh, and also in elementary school, uh, when I was, well, I guess 10 years old and it was fifth grade, uh, we studied India, and that's when I heard uh, our teacher, Ms. Godlin, played Ravi Shankar for the class on a wow. World Pacific live record, and that that became my uh, my biggest, my first big aha experience with music. I think. How old were you then? Like, I think ten. Whoa! So you were you were like rocking the Shankar when you were like preteen. Oh, totally, and and that's uh, crazy. <laughs> but it changed my. It, it, I didn't change it. It cemented, or or I guess initiated the, the first inkling I had of music as this very powerful, not just entertainment type endeavor. Uh, 
And I was deeply affected by it. And, and in fact, uh, for my craft in class, I, I built a, out of wood, and I'm not crafty, by the way, a, a, a sitar that I just you know, I built something that looked kind of sitar shaped and painted it. And, uh, you still have was, this beast? No, no. Actually, the teacher, Ms. Godlin, who looked very much like John Lennon, by the way. Wow. Um, seriously. Um, she kept it because she loved it so much. And uh, I, some serious I, eBay value. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if she's still with us. She had a huge impact on my life, no doubt. Oh, you said she's still with us, or we, we don't I don't know. know. I, I wish I knew. I, I'm not a Facebook guy or anything, so I don't, I don't, go, I don't go looking for people. I don't think she's um, a Facebook girl, probably. You know, you never know. I don't, never know. He was rad, though, I have to say. Uh, and then my brother and I were obsessed with rock and roll. Um, the Birds, in my case, initially, and my brother, the Rolling Stones. And we moved forward from there into, you know, what I guess now people could derisively refer to as boomer dumb, boomer dumb. But yeah. but it was magical time for uh, pop music. And then we just got really off into all kinds of, um, I guess, what we now called fusion and prog rock and creative music from all different uh, places around the world. Uh, so, early on. So, um, when did you start going to see bands? Like, as a kid, as a, like, you, you know, had the advantage of growing up in LA and like. Yeah, but we were too young, Bob. It's like we were uh, uh, too young to, to get rides to the gigs we wanted to go to because when the gigs we wanted to go to the most, which were now would be considered like legendary kind of rock shows, we were 13, 14 years old. So that would right. have been, I remember. At the, I think it was the, oh man, what was it? It was in Pasadena. You're talking late Cal 70s, like late, late 70s. There weren't all ages. No, back. no. The, oh, no, no. This is, we're talking 70, 71 now. So, so I remember like a double bill with Jethro Tull and Led Zeppelin that we wanted to go see uh, when they were both sort of just starting to tour the States. And, Whoa. I never got to see Jimi Hendrix, who's my ultimate inspiration to play guitar for the rest of my life. Uh, couldn't get to the shows. Uh, my brother wanted to go hear Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band at the Bitter End West, which existed Whoa. for like six months, I think, on the strip. But <laughs> All he couldn't, the you could have seen. You'd have been like, he couldn't get anyone to take us. But, but Bob, it was the good part. The good part was that the all-ages place to go hear music was by the time we were in high school in 71, 72, 73, we would go to the lighthouse in Hermosa Beach and, and here and that's where we heard, you know, Herbie Hancock and and uh, Keith Jarrett and Jack DeJanette's directions and John Abercrombie Quartet and, and Joe Joe Farrell and Pat Martino and you know what I mean? So so we would save up our like borrow the mom's car and and put a car together of two of our ne'er-do-well friends, one of them being Michael Preissner quite often, and go to the lighthouse on Tuesday night, the cheapest night, and and uh, check out the scene and hear incredible music. Russ on Roland Kirk and man, you know, it was that's the spot. And also Shelley's Manhole. Shelley's Manhole was all ages, but it it closed right around the time we got ready to go there all the time. <laughs> it was on yeah, Kawanga. 
so you guys were playing music together. You remember, like, when did you play live music for people for the first time? Our elementary school graduation. <laughs> and it was you and we your brother, who else? You had a band. Pat Pyle, Pat Pyle on bass, who was a great drummer who let my brother play his drums. And uh, uh, Steve Griffith on Emony uh, Electric Organ. Whoa. And what'd you call yourselves? Homogenized goo. <laughs> and I've, this is before medicated goo by traffic, by the way. So we played three original songs at our high school, I mean, our, our <laughs> school graduation. I'm sure it was grotesquely incompetent. I didn't know how to play anything. I played everything with two fingers and on only two strings. But I was the singer also. And so we played uh, Flying Frogs. Chewing Gum Mines and Nonstop Chicken Flight, which was an instrumental. The, la the latter was an instrumental. And, and I'm sure it was just embarrassing and horrible or cute uh, if you have a certain, you know, mindset. Uh, I, I, but we were serious. And what we wore was very important because we were trying to be really psychedelic. I, you know? And you lived in a house that allowed you the opportunity to, like, jam with your brother and your buddies. Yeah, my, my my parents were both uh, very supportive and teachers in the Los Angeles City School System. Did and they have any musical a, background themselves, or just no, no? But but like other people of their generation that I I recall, they had talent. They they not only could just carry a tune and love music, but they could also draw freehand. They could write. They were uh, really cultural people. That's and not cool. from cultural background. So it's something they did for themselves. They made something happen for themselves. And uh, so I was very lucky. I, yeah. I've I asked like like Nels if he had any recordings of a homogenized goo years ago. And, and <laughs> sadly, I think... Otherwise, it would have been a little brother. Right, exactly. Yeah, well, mean. yeah. No, no. You know what? Byron Coley really wanted those tapes. Um, <laughs> there are... Uh, Homogenized Goose sort of morphed into a band with no vocals and no songs. So we were kind of like just making noise and improvising early on. Reforming it, yeah. Yeah. And so we had this guy named Gary Jaskell, who I just showed him on my first guitar, which was a little melody Japanese guitar, which I still have. Um, I just showed him to like play on the dots on the low string. And then I just played on, on the high E string and he played on the low E string and we just and Alex would do a beat, and that was our music. So that was completely different from the early homogenized goo. So we changed our name eventually, even though we never played a gig anywhere. We we changed our name to Liquid Blue. <laughs> there you go, yeah. You guys are rather clever. With the <laughs> yeah, clever. Yeah. Well, the cl the clever naming, I have to say, I have to, was when we were in junior high school, and we had an actual cool rock band. Uh, with two guys who could really play. And uh, um, this man named, well, he's a boy then, named Bill Watts, was the guy I watched play and kind of learned how to play almost normal guitar from standing next to. But our band, uh, and we played a few cover songs and a long instrumental jams. Um, it was called Toe Queen Love. And, and, and that title comes from... <laughs> That name comes from the inside of the Fugs album that crawled into my hand, Honest. It's one of their fake... Um, forthcoming Fugs LPs, and uh, 
and uh, we just thought that was a good name. As, as I recall, the, the album cover, the fake album cover for Toe Queen Love is the Pope kissing somebody's foot. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Fugs. That's yeah, yeah, man. Actually, we played them not, like not too many episodes. We should have we should have done a whole show. Well, with Nels, we could have done a whole show. We could have done uh, a whole show for I sure. Think that, I'm no expert. You know. There's probably a thesis, some so somebody's thesis in just into that that record. It crawled on my hand, honest. Which I'm, if I'm not mistaken, was their major label debut on Warner Brothers mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. the ESP disc years. Yeah. Um, and and I, I would, oh man, that's just an incredible record when you consider that it's on a major label is one of the most artistic, transgressive, uh, inspiring records. And I have to say, while I'm on this topic, and I'm sorry I talk so much, oh, uh, keep going. I realized recently that I uh, it, it seemed super obvious to me at certain junctures in my life, but I think that I kind of like stuff it down and, and try to shunt it aside. But I think the reason that there's so many... Uh, I don't know, like surreal, if you will, um, uh, collage, musical collage ideas, uh, snarkiness that can emerge, a kind of irreverence, all this kind of stuff that I took to be kind of, uh, I don't know, it just became normal for me. It was from my brother's obsession with the Mothers of Invention in the early years and Frank Zappa. And having to hear that music every day, pretty much, from about 1968 until 73, perhaps, uh, the after o- after overnight sensation, we kind of lost the thread. But Frank Zappa actually, I th- I I credit with a certain degree of permanent damage um, to my I kind of aesthetic. I guess it's it's not about the the bathroom humor, the snarkiness, or the misogyny, or any of that stuff, certainly. It's it's really about the the harsh contrasts, the anything-goes attitude, and the incredible discipline that emerges from reinvestigation of his music now. It's it's rigorous. Right. And, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, type AAA male personality that goes along with that, but, but beyond that, there's still real vision there. And and I realized that that all this stuff I hear in Tropicalia in Brazil and and all kinds of surreal elements in popular music, uh, you know, well into the mid 70s, pretty much 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 stems from Frank. It, it really does. He was really, really uh, blazing a trail there. Um, and then there's that, that goofiness, which, you know, allows people to not take it so seriously, even me. You know, but well, see, the only like real, like true, like same age group, same age group as you, Zappa head ever knew, um, was Gary Young from Pavement, and like Mm -hmm. he was, I I, probably you've never had the opportunity to speak with him, right? No. Yeah, no, he was just like you know, keep in mind, like you know, he got dropped into Pavement because they showed up at his recording studio to make a seven inch in 1989, Mm -hmm. and Gary just comes from like. You know, your generation and, you know, we were all like punk rock kids and like new waivers and stuff like that. And he was familiar like you are with like something that happened a generation before. And so he was completely freaked out by like 
lo-fi and like indie <laughs> rock and all that shit you know because like he was like a really really zappa was his god but like he was also you know way way into like early yes and like same, uh, oh same here man yeah it'd be interesting <laughs> to have like the two of you guys like talk music because it sounds like i mean you're a little bit more clear headed but it's like kind of talking to gary you know like he just didn't understand where we were like he was really confused by what we were doing. He thought it just sounded like just like really to be quite frank, like just a complete piece of shit, you know, and he couldn't he couldn't understand why any of it was like anybody cared about it. You know? Uh-huh. And he didn't share my love of, of rock and all the uh all the pebbles and many, many compilations that I cherish because I still have this connection to that sound Mm -hmm. and and so i think if you uh you know funnel everything into this much more rigorous uh you know i don't know what mindset that comes from uh prog rock and you know all that uh it's very disciplined um it's still in the zappa sense his relationship to vocal group music which we might call doo-wop or the uh you know sort of the chicano culture of southern california which he kind of lampooned but at the same time i felt great res- I, I felt he respected when i listened to it even now mm-hmm. um, yeah I, I think you it's not for everybody uh maybe he was only into the later zappa stuff but but that sound in you know cruising with Ruben and the Jets and the first maybe three Mother's Invention records is very crucial, and that's you know key to rock and roll and and rock and it's kind of like uh, you know I don't know street music. It's it's not effete, you know. Right. It's 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 really seriously kind of funky and. I know that that Frank like was making fun of it in a way, but I still feel like there is respect for some aspect of the culture when he lampoons it. It's not it's not racial certainly, mm-hmm. and, right. and it's, it's uh, I, it, there's something about those songs that just continue to resonate. And 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 growing up in Southern California, for me, lowrider culture was not exactly a big thing. But it became I became clearer as I got older, the impact of that culture, you know. And I think in Southern California, it was the radio station KRLA of the two top 30 stations was top 30 was KHJ, top 40 was KRLA. KRLA was the one that that really sort of mined ultimately this kind of lowrider, you know, uh, uh, request line um yeah. thing and and frank's really a big part of that um whether he was wanting to make fun of it or not I, it's just so obviously within uh deeply within his, his early aesthetic in his rock and roll and i dig that yeah well <clears throat> did you ever have the opportunity to meet him no uh uh-uh. yeah. no but i actually uh uh a, f- a friend of mine who's uh, also no longer on the planet uh, was one of his recording engineers later uh, in late Frank life uh, and sadly also in late Harry life. But 
uh, he loved Frank. And Frank had two recording studios going all the time um, in those later years, working on projects, uh, constantly recording, constantly, I guess, I don't know what, remixing, editing. I mean, he was... Uh, he was really driven and really yeah. focused in a way that I don't relate to at all. <laughs> yeah, no, me neither. Mike either. <laughs> well, let's, Anyways, let's like, play um, some songs. Uh, yeah. So, oh, uh, hi, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, you know, the way the show works is we each play three songs. And, um, you know, again, it's like, basically, we just play three songs and chat about them. So Nels is going to kick it off. Pick it off with a really slow one, beautiful and slow. And if you've ever seen uh, or heard the musical, the Broadway musical, The Professionals, which is also a film, this is a, a very, in in that original iteration, a very um, up-tempo and exuberant uh, piece of music. And this is quite different. Uh, Theo Blackman, right? From yeah. the album, yes, sir. from the album Elegy uh, Comedy Tonight.
So I'm not familiar with Theo Blackman. Tell me a little bit about him and tell me why you picked that one. Wow. Well, I wish I knew more about his, uh, you know, his biography or his background, but I mean, he's an amazing singer residing in Brooklyn, uh, doing uh, a, a vast array of expressive, creative um, vocal music. Um, he's, exemplary at using uh, live effects on his voice, looping and all that kind of stuff. But he's also obviously uh, rigorous in the sort of, I guess, classical quote unquote tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, if you follow him, which I, I'm not a media guy, but if you follow him on social media, he's He's, uh, I've seen a little bit that, that Yuka has showed me, you know, he's colorful, he's vibrant, he's artistic, he does incredible art himself, and uh, he has co- all kinds of projects going on. This particular record, which was, I think, from 2017, um, the whole record is beautiful, it's an incredible band, it's Ben Monder, the, the one and only uh, ben Monder on guitar, you don't really hear much on that track. You don't hear uh, John Hollenbeck so much on drums on that track, but Shy Maestro on piano. A lot of people are talking about him as he moves forward in his career. He's a remarkable pianist. Uh, Chris Tordini on bass. And um, it's on the ECM label, so a lot of uh, people heard it, which is a wonderful thing. Um, that particular track... Uh, had such an effect on me when I heard it. Um, it's pretty intense. That, yeah, that I, I would put it, it does on... Sound, it does just sound like his vocals and a dude playing piano. Uh, yeah, yeah, Shy Maestro on piano. Um, I heard uh, Theo do this once as a, a duet with piano and voice, and I and I couldn't believe the how he had reimagined this piece in this incredibly intense and, and uh, I don't know how you would describe some, flipping something on its 180 degrees, but still having this uh, remarkable focus on the song itself and on the lyrics. And so, you know, tragedy tomorrow, comedy tonight, you know, bring on uh, the, the lovers, liars and clowns. It's, yeah. it's so, uh, Anyway, I became so obsessed with this particular recorded version, and I've heard some live versions on YouTube. And and the shy does uh, a different pianist. There are little slightly different harmonic uh, things that come out, but this version 
uh, I just would listen to it three, four times, five times in a row, standing in our Brooklyn apartment, just kind of like staring at the stereo. It spoke to me in a way that a uh, few other songs that year did. And this maybe was, I don't know cool. if it was, it was like 2018 or whatever. I don't care. I don't know, whatever, what year. It was just one of those things. And and since I'm sort of distantly friendly with Theo and we did a track together um, with my friend Joel Harrison for uh, a, rec- a record he did of reimagined sort of, I guess we now call Americana, like American folk and blues songs and, and gospel songs. Um, we did uh, with Brian Blade and got all these amazing guys stuffed into a studio in Brooklyn. Um, I got, you know, to, to tell, like say to Theo, like, wow, dude, <laughs> you know, that's some beautiful music. Uh, yeah. That's all I don't, I don't know where he's from. I, I just He's from Dortmund. He's, he's, he's German. He's Dortmund, Germany. Uh, okay, well, he, there's not much. He played there, Dortmund. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I don't, th- I don't know how long. I think he's been in the states for a long time. The man has uh, maybe a kind of Germanic look, but no accent. Like I didn't know that. So amazing. Well, he sounds like an American singing. Well, he, is, yeah. I mean, he just, I don't know. Theo's just one of these amazing, amazing people. That he's is had an amazing feels. career. I mean, the guy's had an True amazing artist. career as a, as a jazz legend. I mean, he's a modern jazz legend i mean yes I, like I just i hope so i hope you're right bob because i know there are a whole lot of people who like jazz you don't know who he is but but uh he is a true artist it's a cool song no, i mean I, i'd like i'm i mean I, I do know this about him i knew he was on like almost an olympic level ice skater when he was young really yeah that's like a, that, i mean if you see his physique that makes sense. He's he's quite uh, strapping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like whatever. I mean, like, obviously, you know, for the pleasure of the rest of us, he chose music and other forms of art. But like, no, it's had a brilliant career. I, I'm not. I'm no expert on his music, you know. But uh, yeah, that was certainly certainly you know an attractive piece of music. Yeah. Yeah, thank I, you. I'm, yeah, I'm totally unaware of him, but I will uh, I will dive in a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll go next. I'm going to play something from this was actually something I first came became aware of, I think around 2010 um, through the Sublime Frequencies label. Um, ah, excellent. Yeah, Alan from Sun City Girls reissuing a lot of wonderful music and releasing a lot of current wonderful music. But this is an, um, an older artist. Um, sadly, he passed away in, um, I think, 1981 in a car accident. Um, he was born in 1945 in Egypt. His name is Omar Khorshid. And um, he released a lot of, uh, I guess, belly dancing records, for lack of a better term. And that was that was the thing, wasn't it? It was. Um, he was a guitarist. Uh, did most of his recording in the seventies, uh, and I'm going to play a song from a 1977 release. And the song is called "Sidi Mansour." Monjour, Monjour. Um, Let's go to Egypt, boys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think you'll like Let's this go one. To Egypt. I, I okay. hope you guys will like Egyptian this one. legend. Yeah, for sure. Here yeah. you go. Thank you. 
Khorshid. Have you ever heard it's him? Frenzied. Frenzied is frenzied as I expect. Yeah, right. Imagine the <gasps> belly dancing going on. Had so you ever heard him, Nels? What, what? Had you ever heard him before? No, no, no. I, I, you know, I'm sure that I should have, but no, especially yeah. as somebody, um, you know, well, yeah, all I can say about my now, I guess, you know, version exposure is irresistible, you know, <laughs> as somebody who is very into surf music growing up in Southern California and and instrumental hits, instrumentals in general, but instrumental hits, you know, I love them. They were uh, something that people used to actually listen to. Um, one foot on terra firma and the other foot deep, deep, deep under the ocean, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, that's irresistible. Cool. I'm glad you liked it. Um, his stuff is all uh, worth checking out. You know, that compilation that Sublime Frequencies put out is, uh, it's, it's called uh, Guitar El Chark, C-H-A-R-K. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's out of print on vinyl. You can still find it for not exe- exorbitant sums, but um, his music's around. It's It's good stuff. See, when I hear music like that, I always think, like, um, what the hell was going on with, like, the percussion aspect? Like, it just sounds like complete chaos. Like, it's just like, what were they hitting? <laughs> I don't you know. know. I mean? I'm, I'm down Doom, with it. Doom, Doombex with bells, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, my Lord. I mean, it would have been fun to be a percussionist in that band, but your arms would have gotten so tired unless you're really fit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Seriously. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, you could play that record, you could own that record, and, and you'd play it at 33 before you realized <laughs> it, it was supposed to be played at 45 kind of thing. Because, like, if you played it, <laughs> right. you know, if you played it actually, like, on a slower speed, and it's just like it just like that. That's the kind of thing that blows my mind. Because like, if you like do adjust like the pitch dial on your turntable and listen to something like that, like it it would sound it would still sound like the same music, but you'd have like you'd be in a situation of like I don't know. You could, it's it's weird. Like just the speed of that was like as fast as like hardcore. Right. It'll 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 sound good at any speed. And, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any um, records like that, Bob or Nels, where, where like you know that the speed is intended to be, you know, thirty-three, but you preferred at forty-five, or vice versa? Oh God, what a question! <laughs> I'm sure that I have an answer for this from my it's 80s okay. head. It's okay. You, know? you don't. If nothing's <laughs> well, jumping I mean, out. I can tell you one today. Like one of my favorite artists today is Circuit to You, Haley Four, and like I bought her first seven-inch, and I listened to it on. 45 and it sounded like really you know kind of cool pop music until i realized after like 10 listens it was supposed to be played at 33 (laughs) and she's got this amazing voice and it's sort of so i mean like for uh, several months you know several you know several listens i enjoyed it at the wrong speed right (laughs) right you know so it just it happens you know but yeah i'm trying to think there was a song that i used to love to listen to slowed down and uh, from the from the seven inch single, like at a different speed, but I have no recollection now. I'm really really sorry. That's okay, but man. I do, have, I, do have a, I do have 
I do have a speed uh, turntable speed anecdote from the record store days that I really love, which is that one day uh, working in the record store, I was playing the EP by Swans, um, so elegantly titled Raping a Slave. Yeah, and, yeah, I did. Yeah, Bob, you know that one, right? I and, do, yeah. Yeah, and there was this DJ who used to come in, um, <laughs> uh, and this was, you know, when that record was new, so it was the early 80s, and uh, and he came up to the counter to tell me that I was playing the record on the wrong speed. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I had... Well, the customers are more knowledgeable than the guys behind the counter. Well, like no, that. no, because I had him come around to the turntable and look that it was playing actually at 45, because uh, <laughs> it was a 12-inch EP, and it sounded like it was on 16, you know? Right, yeah. And, and he, he, like, went into, a, a, a like, a rage fit. He yelled at me and accused Whoa. me of, yeah, yeah, he went into a complete meltdown, and he accused me of just being belligerent and trying to fuck with people's heads. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was right, but you didn't even know it. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I wish I could remember his name. He was actually a really, really nice guy, but he was super in, intense DJ personality kind of guy. But boy, he was upset. Have you ever DJed <laughs> vinyl? Like, have you ever have you ever done no. DJ sets? No. Live ones? No. Did you, did you ever do like college radio? No, I always wanted to actually. You'd have uh, been good. I would I would love You'd to be actually a, a radio <laughs> radio DJ guy. But but yeah. no, not for like the, he was DJing for dance, you know, like kind of like disco kind of stuff. Uh and uh maybe he was good. I don't know. He was he was a little annoying, but he was ve- definitely passionate. Yeah, no, I've done like several live DJ sets and, you know, usually I'm playing music for, you know, generally people who don't know what I'm playing and I've like started records at the wrong speed while I put a record away and like go for the next one. And, like, I'm like, hold on a second. This actually sounds good at this speed. So I'm just going to like let it roll. And, you know, that, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, you know. Uh, our our buddy, uh, we had a guest host on a little while back, Fred Thomas. Um, he kindly enough sent me uh, some records. Actually, yeah, he did kindly send me some records. But then separate to that, I actually found a record that he recorded. And I uh, it was like three or four bucks. I, I bought it and uh, I reported back to him that I didn't realize it was on the wrong speed. Uh, and it's this kind of like dirgy goth record. And I was playing it at 45 because I thought it was an EP. And I was like, yeah, yeah it's like kind of the Screamers vibe. And he's like, I think it's supposed to be 33. Like, okay. I mean, it's great when that happens because then it'd be fine. You can love a record at, two, at right. any setting on your turntable. Right, exactly. Uh, so, so, all right. Anyways, <clears throat> what do you got for I'll us, take us at, I'm going to hit us with some hot snakes. I, I guess you guys are – I didn't realize I was doing a program with a couple – Jazz bows, but um, forget no, about jazz. <laughs> um, I'll play some, you know, I guess what you'd call like traditional indie rock from Hot Snakes. Um, nice San, San Diego, Diego band, yeah, and you know, um, Rick Froberg and John Rice. You know, yeah, that and John's got some. John, do you know John from Rocket from the Crypt? He's most famous for that band. 
No, the 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 rocket from the crypt person I know is a later and probably I don't even know if he still plays with them. It's Mario Rubukava. He's the drummer for Hot Snakes. Oh, yeah, he is? yeah. Oh my God, yeah. I love Mario. I played with Mario a little bit uh, when I heard him with Clickatat Ikatawi. Right. I, I yeah, really, yeah, I love that band. Yeah, they yeah. were incredible, and they yeah. were opening for the Geraldine Fibbers at the Casbah, and I looked at Mario. And I, I saw my brother at like age 14 and like the skinny guy shredding on this tiny drum set with with no effort whatsoever. And and so when my trio that we heard for 30 seconds at the beginning of the show um, sort of, you know, disintegrated, I very, very briefly had a band with Mario and uh, Woody Applenalp on guitar yeah. and Bob Mayer from my trio on bass. Wow. And I can't remember what I called it. But Mario is just one of the great, great, great drummers. And, and I remember that he could never rehearse because he was down in San Diego. So we just kind of just went for it, the two gigs we did together. And, and then these, these kids came up to me after one of the gigs and said, like, oh, my God, dude. Yeah, like, that's like, <laughs> that's like Mario, man. I was like, yeah, he's a great drummer. They said, no, man. This guy's a champion skater. And I said, what? And I didn't realize that he was one of the, the top skateboard champions of that time. And he's still considered one of the greats. Like He's like a super skateboard star. Wow. Whoa. Cool. Yeah. I had no idea. I would love to see him again and hear him again. But I know he did Blackheart Procession for a while. Yep. And, uh, and then Rocket from the crypt and 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 uh it just seemed like such a weird thing but i guess it's a san diego thing and he can crush anything you know literally yeah. anything well this is him on drums as well. Wait, yeah this is, was uh, off, this is right was he didn't he play an off was he an off? Done, yeah you know, i think he might yeah, have been but this is yeah, uh this is rick, Fro- yeah, off rick is one Rover. of the greatest fucking bands yeah. anyway sorry yeah, no, that's no, that's cool. No, it's um, these guys played together with Pitchfork mm-hmm. and Drive Like Jehu, and then you know, Rocket from the Crypt took precedence, and and I'm not saying poor Rick Froberg, he got a bit left behind during that era, and they they reformed and like um, John, he's got. Do you have any nicknames, Nels? Like, do you have any famous nicknames? Like, <laughs> uh. I have a million nicknames, but they're all kind of like just from friends. Nothing. They're all nothing. off color, so you no. can't tell us about them on the show. <laughs> no, no. I mean, no. They're it's like, like a, I've asked, I've asked no. Mike this question before, and like people just call Mike, people just call you Nels, right? Generally, yeah. Although there's yeah. Nelsy, there's Nelly, there's Nelb, N E L B, there's uh, Nebby, N E B B I E. The longest one is uh, my percussionist composer friend Brad Dutz uh, is Nebulator of the Quindo Pledge. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, John, John's got, he's called Speedo, Slasher, and the Swami. And this came out, they put this out <laughs> on his label, Swami Records, which is an amazing okay. trio of nicknames. You know, he's I, a great cannot, guitar player. I cannot wait to hear this. I'm so yeah. psyched. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, it's Hot Snakes off their first record, which is called Automatic Midnight. It's called Tenth Planet. Uh-oh. 
Blistering, blistering. Yeah. And that was made in the year 2000. And, and like, you know, so it sounds like delightfully like 1987 to me. Like, I grew up with uh, Honor Roll. Been, I've seen more than any other, you know, from Richmond. Uh-huh. On the show. And like, it's like that. It just reminds me of Bob Schick, you know, from Honor Roll. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I dig, I dig the record. And like, I guess they're still going hot steaks. They, they are. I think they're on Sub Pop. Yeah. yeah. They they put out an album a uh, year or two ago. Um, and yeah. I have a couple Haven't hot snake stories. One. I have a couple hot snake stories. One was, I think, right around the release of that record. They were playing a show here in Portland at Burbati's Pan, and it was the same night. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know that place. Yeah, yeah. it was the same you know night. The, you know that place, don't you, Nels? Yeah. Is yeah. it still there? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Mike would know. It doesn't sound good. I don't know. Um, well, good you know, food. I mean, I haven't really been back, you know, f- except during a pandemic. So I don't know what all is still around and survived. What's going on in two- oh, no, When did um, you move to Portland? Back to Portland? Uh, I moved back in 2019. But yeah, and so in 2000, I was living in Portland and they played at Burbati's and they were playing at the same night or they're playing the same night that uh, Sonic Youth was playing at the Roseland. And Sonic Youth opened, or sorry, not opened, but they did an in-store at Music Millennium in the afternoon. So I decided I'm going to go see Sonic Youth at Music Millennium for free in the afternoon, and then that night miss them to go to see the Hot Snakes. And I was not disappointed. They were amazing live. My, yeah. my other story about the hot snakes, and Nels, this connects back to you and connects back to Little oh. Brother. Um, Rick Fork, Rick Froberg, guitarist there and also the vocalist on that song, played guitar on the 7-inch that you also played guitar on that I released that Jovi Butts did called the West Coast oh. Modern Day Punk Rock Orchestra. <laughs> yeah, Little Brother Night. Little Brother Obi. Night. It is Little yeah. Brother Night. Yeah, which I, yeah. I still have copies of that too. If anybody cares, uh, 
Yeah, he oh, made um, he only made eight thousand of those. <laughs> he only made eight thousand of those, and there's thirteen left. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, those are my two. That's my two pieces of information to add. Nice. Well, my reaction to that song is just to say that you know, essential, just absolutely essential, and and everybody who loves you know guitar based kind of you know blistering rock and roll longs for that marriage of you know fury and articulateness and yeah that, that had it man yeah, yeah. <clears throat> i i love nels how you at first i think thought that there was an issue with your you know because of the way that the guitar was just in the one channel before it fully kicked in oh yeah <laughs> Um, I didn't hear anything for a while. Yeah, because it was very okay. quiet, and it was only it maybe it was it was I was only getting it out of one channel. The I think the right channel was completely blank until you know oh, 10, okay. 15 seconds. Well, I think in L, so like, to be honest with you, if they had to do it all over again, the track would have started. Your only contribution would have been you saying "uh oh" at the start. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that'd have been that'd have been a really good way for. Or tenth planet to start. Yeah, yeah. I was getting a big load of silence there. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm gonna. I'll adjust. I can adapt. But anyway, <laughs> get with I it, man. Get with it. Get with it. I love that because <laughs> I love that because they. You can tell like and, and you know I'm not I'm not co- comparing the music to Sonic Youth at all. But you told told your story. Uh, yeah. I, I like when you can hear some some guitar based rock and roll based on somebody's love of what resonates, you know, what just like vibrates everything. And that that was just like that awareness was in that song. Yeah. I, I loved yeah, it. I mean, like, loved... I mean, I think Sonic Youth is like truly one of the most influential bands of, of you know, the last 40 years like bands can't get around like a lot of them can't get around like sonic youthisms you know right well i can't right <laughs> yeah <laughs> fair enough you know like i'll, I'll, I'll play uh, one later like, that, that definitely taps us, into that you know, yeah like, you know, so anyways it's your pick now <laughs> oh it's my time yeah where are you going okay. next now well mike knows i'm gonna do isotope 217 degrees, which I used to always call Isotope 217. <laughs> which is a cooler way to say it, really. It's more punk. I just didn't realize there was a degree sign at, for all these years. Like, how they're, small, years? No, they're small, though. They're small. It's a they're tiny small. little circle. Easy to miss. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this, this is the opening track from the first record, which had a massive impact on me when I heard it back at that time in 1997. Um, I had to do some research and find out when my my friend and uh, uh, really one of my favorite musicians, uh, Jeff Parker, joined Tortoise, and and it said he joined in '96. I hear the influence of Jeff on Tortoise after that, but you also hear the dub aspects of uh, mid '90s Tortoise in this track. Uh, not even four minutes long, kind of defines so much about Jeff's uh, oblique uh, sort of compositional. Uh, I don't know. It's not a. It's not. It's not a style. I guess it's 
and it's not intentionally oblique, but he has a definite sense of groove and a sense of form that uh, isn't, doesn't always take the obvious path, and also a kind of uh, almost elegant restraint. Uh, and, and I hear it in the music he's doing now with the new breed. The and new breeds is current act. It's, it's like his last couple of records are called with this uh, Los Angeles based uh, kind of collective of people that he calls the new breed. And the music is marvelous, like really, really marvelous. And Fuck, I'll have to and, check that out. I'm yeah, it's really great, great, great stuff. Nice um, the last one was called Sweet for Max Brown. The first one is just called the new breed. And uh, yeah. the first one has a picture of his father on the cover and the second one his mother. And, um, uh, so start with the first one, just called the New Breed, I think, and you get the the you, you understand that he also is a DJ. Uh, as you listen to it, his wonderful guitar style. But this is not a guitar track. This is just he's about, a good DJ. Good DJ. I'm a shitty DJ. Come on. Ah, uh, I would I'm playing be, songs at the wrong speed, Nels. Come on. Yeah, I do too. I want to hear uh, like psychotic reaction at 33 now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. Uh, uh, Oh God! Like uh, Mike, remind me of the, the of the the title is very oblique. Crypt, also, it's Kryptonite uh, smokes the red line. Kryptonite burns like what is it? Kryptonite lot, smokes red, the red line. Yeah, smokes the red line. That's right. From, it's just uh, nineteen ninety seven. It is just absolutely marvelous. Okay, cool. that's just my opinion. All right, here we go from well, the we'll unstable decide, molecule. Nels. We'll decide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why we're here. <laughs> Thank you. 
a definite vibe to that one. No, fellow Virginian. I can hear the dub for sure, but there's it's very tonal too. Oh man. Awesome, man. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> I um I'm familiar with his work. I th- that's a band that uh I I remember seeing the album cover, but I don't think I ever heard it. Mike. I know. Well, that's and- a I'm astonished. That's Bettina Richards. That's Bettina Richards. Thrill right. Jockey. Thrill Jockey. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. He did actually, uh, Jeff did a record. I'm blanking on the name of the record for Thrill Jockey after that, well into his tortoise years. And I'm telling you, man, it's full on kind of 70s uh, 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 instrumental hit fusion record. Wow. And I highly recommend it. I'm blanking on the name. But Commander of Mindfuck. Sorry? Are you toning automatic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like came out of the time when it was probably the least hip thing to do, and now I just love that. I mean, I think for like everybody should be listening to this record and going like, "Oh my god, man, it's the hippest shit." Wow. But but I love the new breed. But this record to me, it's just all these elements have just continued in Jeff's trajectory, and also you can hear it in a kind of general aesthetic for coming out of Chicago at that time. Mm-hmm. With John McIntyre and and uh, uh, that whole world, but Jeff's harmonic world, his his compositional sensibilities, and he's uh, you you just heard him playing a part that he written for himself there, but I guess, but but he's just such a great guitar player too. And Rob Mazurak was in that band, Mazurak. Oh, Rob, Rob Mazurik from uh, Mazur- Chicago Underground Trio. Yeah, yeah. he's and- a fascinating character unto his own. Uh, I guess he's living in Marfa these days, uh, doing visual art primarily, but still doing... Where's he living? Marfa, Texas. Marfa, Texas. I think that... Well, this was a few years ago, so don't take my word for it. Because he gets around. He was living in Brazil before that. Have you heard the Exploding Star Orchestra collaboration that he did last year called Dimension Star? No, I already read about it. I have not heard it yet. It's quite good. I love Rob and 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 Jeff uh, and Rob together are really a marvelous couple. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I for whatever reason, I, I, Isotope two thousand seventeen degrees um, <laughs> had it sort of evaded me. Um, well, he insulted you for not hearing it, Mike. I haven't either. So you okay. know, like you know, it's okay. Well, I'll you know what, Mike? Hey, Watt, I'm not saying an insult. I'm not saying he's just surprised. Mike Wad says the only, the only thing new is you finding out. Yeah, about. that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take us back uh, a few years prior to that one, to around the time Nels that you and I uh, were becoming really good friends, and and I want to play a band that I think I was I know I was definitely into at the time, and I think I may have exposed you to. Uh, I'm talking about Polvo. Talking about, oh yeah, you did. Talking you did. about Slint. bands, you exposed you to both Slint and Polvo right. on the same cassette. Right, because I heard Chest and he made you mixtape. And I said, yeah. I, I, I think I, I just did like old school love, Spiderland on one side <laughs> and Polvo on the other, because I said, what I hear you doing on Chest reminds me a lot of these bands, and so I think I, I dubbed it sent it down to you in LA. I was living in, uh, probably when we first met, I was in college at at Santa Clara. And then shortly after that, when I graduated, I was in Eugene. Um, 
So Eugene I, was what I would associate you with. Right. And that, yes, that's exactly what you did. Right. And no, it's a pizza man. It's a pizza man. And yes, you are absolutely correct that it figures into the aesthetic that I was, uh, I, I guess, delving into, but I had no inkling of these these uh, these combos. Well, what I, I want to play, I want to play a song from "Celebrate the New Dark Age," which was uh, the. I guess the third, if you want to, I don't know if you'd call it a full length. It's a triple seven inch. So it's maybe a little longer than a short EP. Oh, maybe not quite long enough to be a full length. I don't know. But it's one of my favorite releases of theirs because it's just so weird. There's a lot of Middle Eastern influences. Um, I think it's they. It's a great era of detuned guitar bands. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and. What I, part of why I wanted to play this is is your version when you heard that they were doing a triple seven inch, you said the trio will do a triple seven inch too, and so you did ground as a triple no, seven. No, inch. no, no, Mike, you have re you have reimagined this. No, we no because Brian, whose last name I can't remember anymore, who worked at that record store in Silver oh, Lake, yeah, yeah, yeah. he surprised he surprised me. With the triple seven inch version of Ground, with the independent project press right, cover, right? And his thing, his whole thing was, if Polvo can do a triple seven inch, we can do a triple seven inch. But he didn't tell me about it. Oh, okay. And because because the record Ground that was just like leftovers and demos yep. and stuff that cost a hundred dollars to record, and and he Good put price. that out. Yeah. Well. And I don't know. If oh, so that was his did, story. I always thought it was your it was version his of, idea, of it was like his idea to, to try to best Polvo or to uh, somehow, you know, I don't know, do something commensurate with their triple seven inch. And I, and I'm still, I still have like night sweats thinking guiltily about how much money he must have lost um, doing this with colored vinyl and yep. independent project. Yep. press like bruce leischer yep. you know yeah it sounds um, expensive isn't it <laughs> he blew my mind he blew my mind with this but this was not something i wanted or had asked okay. for okay. or even dreamt about um uh, but i was i i can't say i wasn't pleased i was misremembering hey, now 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 so i can officially say you can get over it now you know yeah it's <laughs> It's some odd years. Brian is. All right, man. Uh, I, I have, yeah, yeah, Brian uh, from Crown Pocket. I, yeah, he was um, just psyched Crown about the Pocket music. He wanted to make a, He was psyched about the music. He wanted to make a super duper product. Well, you know, mm-hmm. I I had always <laughs> thought of Polvo as the Husker Du to your Minutemen. You know, with the whole. They're just a bunch of sports fans take, from North Carolina. Take that, Huskers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this one. I know those dudes. Every Great every guy. holy shroud, nineteen ninety four. Oh, I love this song. Oh yeah. Damn. And you know my favorite. Play one we know. Thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah. Well, well, you know, I, I wanted to play one yeah. that we could all, all know this discuss. Yeah. So here you go. Enjoy.
hadn't heard this song in so long. And, uh, you know, I can say uh, Mike might know this reference since he put out one of the records I'm going to mention. But there are two songs by my band, the singers, that are uh, that that I really uh, intentionally uh, referenced to myself anyway, my love of Polvo that I developed after Mike turned me on to them. And one is on the last trio record called Sad, mm. and it's a song called Arrow. Yeah. And Arrow's is, is performed on baritone guitar, but it's trying to emulate this instrumental track. Uh, now I can't even remember the name of it because it's been so long ago. It was like one of those late 90s moments for me, but uh and then the other one <laughs> the other one is the other one is a song called the ballad of devon hoff from the singer's record uh the giant pin and it's a detuned uh open tune guitar track that has some um you know ash bowie polvo-esque moments and big a couple of big memorable riffs and that's one yeah. of the things that i love so much about polvo it's, you know it certainly uh, when I reflect on Mike turning me on to Slint and Polvo on the same mixtape, it's uh, a lot of love. Both, both bands that could really, really articulate their vocals in a way that's so unrock and roll. You know, they're just talking so clearly now. You know, they're they're, they're saying all these words that you can actually understand. And then think like, oh wow, young guys. Right. <laughs> yeah, the lyrics, totally. The lyrics to this song, this last song, so, so kind of like uh, defiantly uh, a, uh, alienated or or whatever they are. They're, it's it's really, uh, it's so of a time in. I, I guess, I guess this kind of well, now we call it indie rock, another meaningless term, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, know. like that's 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 the umbrella term, and that's yeah, actually yeah, like, yeah. But, but I'm, I'm cool but with like, that. Good like, luck. Cool. Yeah, but like you but, know, I've always been cool with like the umbrella description of indie rock because it means nothing. You right. Know? Well, uh, yeah, it's right up there with fusion and and uh, our post punk, uh, post punk, a post punk, another one. Uh, you know, but but as I listen to this, you know, the delight that I feel with these killer riffs. Uh, good luck putting that one on the grid you know what i mean just shifting tempos um and, it's called and indie rock so, so much freedom and and uh, uh and a really cool attitude you know really um, but, great bunch of characters in that band dave brylowski of course ash i didn't know um, these guys i only met ash oh we played with them 25 times like yeah know, i mean i saw them live a couple of times but i never talked to them you know it was ash i met later at a wilco gig and we talked about maybe someday collaborating because I really, really wanted to do something with him. And and we thought, what a cool idea and nothing. Mm. Uh, I don't even know. I, I know that they reunited and made a really good couple of records. And I was so pleased. But I don't know what where they're at what now. I'm, what I'm, one great thing I, that I've sensed in, in my social media experience is like there is like a, a really nice from the current generation, like a lot of Paulvo love, which I oh, really? think is fantastic. Good. Cause they were like, um, yeah, no, like the kids today are listening to Paulvo like more than the, like, like they listened to him when they actually existed. Huh. Which, oh. 
That's good. Yeah, no, I think there's like this current generation of like, you know, 20 somethings and teenagers like discovering and digging on Paul, but I think it's wonderful. You know, like absolutely they were they were like they were, you know, not comprehensively overlooked. They were always respected, but like, you know, Mike says this all the time and like, you know, often I agree, like they did not get their just due in the 90s. Like mm-hmm. unlike Slint. Slint was like you know, especially Spider Land, but like Instacult. Um, yeah. I mean worldwide. Exactly. I mean yeah. I lived in Louisville. I moved to Louisville in nineteen ninety four. That was oh, after Slint. Oh. Like Slint was yeah, Slint yeah. was gone. Yeah. <laughs> ninety three. Ninety three like Slint was gone. And like Rodan, I don't know if you're familiar with that band. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, of and course. And they always had to deal with like, oh, they're from Louisville. They're obviously going to be accused of being like the Slint ripoff band. And like, they were right. fantastic in their own right, but like, they were just from the wrong city, you know. Like, and oh. um, they're brilliant and too. Four, you know? four Carnation. Yep. Yeah, right. and the Rachels and June of Forty Four. Like, you know, they. Right. And that's some but, beautiful stuff. And the Paulo, you know, Paulo's, you know, Chapel Hill and like, right. of course, Merge was like kicking off and like they somehow like got lost in the shuffle of the 90s. They did. Um, compared to Slint, like Slint are legends, you know, and um, I don't even know. If, I, I don't think they really even care. I remember the bass player, Steve, he like while he was like, you know, doing indie rock tours like opened like one of the first ever like video game bars in raleigh he's a north carolina state guy and they all like one guy's a duke fan one guy's a unc fan one guy's an nc state fan so that hits me right up the street because i went to virginia so like you know backstage there was a lot more talk about like meaningless sports rivalries than there was about music (laughs) than like you'd go up there you'd go up there and play the show you know and, right. uh, but and they were fantastic to be around, and their music was amazing. But like, I just felt like they were underappreciated in the '90s. So it's been very welcome to me to like, you know, see actually see like you know how these people do these things with poll like polls on the, and they people you know I, I'm, I'm like I'm completely ignorant of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm basically ignorant too. You know, when it comes to this stuff, but like. I'm I'm just happy to see that people still are are not still loving Paulo, but like getting to like Paulo is like a big part of their musical experience. Mm-hmm. So. That's fantastic. I have to tell you yeah. something, Bob and Mike. Mike might not be so surprised, but you know, uh, many many years ago, when when you know this whole internet music thing and and reissues and all this stuff started happening, I have to say that that early on, my mind was very very blown to see that young listeners were not just discovering and embracing stuff because, oh, it was obscure or, or, or because it's some cool label reissue thing or whatever, but, but all kinds of music that I thought was going to become completely overlooked, uh, you know, for lack of hipness or for lack of this or lack of that or whatever genre uh, yeah. affiliations it had has been not only recognized, but embraced on a level the, of of not only uh, you know sort of I guess shedding light on what was previously unknown, but also embracing that which was previously very known, but but kind of dissed and cast aside, and that the the and you know music of great quality 
being embraced and uh, touted by young listeners on a level that I would never have imagined before. And it's one of the most heartening things I have experienced uh, as this kind of like old dude musician guy. Uh, I'm I'm incredibly encouraged and uh, really just heartwarmed. You know, but like, you know, like, you know, like not, you know, just one product like Bandcamp, like allows like people to not have to go get music the way we used to have to get it. Like go to the record store with like 25 bucks and pick three records to buy. Right. You know what I mean? So they can just search away and they stumble and they buy tracks. And, you know, a lot of it, the difficult thing for artists is like, you know, you get a lot for free before you buy that kind of thing. It's not a good deal, I guess, you know. Well, uh, we do want people to hear our music. I mean, that's the kind of... That's that's the thing, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, yeah, that's Fine the thing. And it's interesting to talk to you about this. Like, um, the whole argument... I, uh, is, I'm a hippie, is, man. Yeah, yeah. You, I, I like the like guy who wishes... You live in, you live in the just... middle of nowhere in upstate New York, you know. And, and, <laughs> 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 you got your wife and your dog, and like, you know... Right, and I like the library. Who doesn't like the library? You know, yeah, so right. libraries like Bandcamp now, right? Know, right? For, for these kids and Spotify and stuff like that, you know, like, and people yeah. like, I don't even really know how it all works, you know. But, anyways, well, um, I, mean, the I do want people to hear that. my music. Yeah. I do want people to hear my music and to hear all kinds of music. So yeah. that's the beginning. You know, everything radio. else is just monetization. Yeah. And I know that there's got to be a way to work that out, but I'm not going to be. Uh, well, the thing is, like, like Nels, like, you, you want people to hear your music because so you can play. I don't want anybody to hear any music by him. I make, you know. <laughs> Although oh, I did just buy a, well. <laughs> Yeah. So if you want to collaborate, I did just buy a $29 xylophone, you know, and I'm obsessed with the xylophone. Mike's going to actually play it. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm gonna play Fantastic. something kind of along yeah, those lines. I'm working on xylophone, so we'll put it out a little brother when you and I two. Yeah, we'll be, you know we'll re- reprise the label. But anyways, I'm gonna play an interesting artist that I sort of got into just in the last like several months. Um, it's music. I think he started in 2002, um, and uh, he's somewhat active. And it's very interesting to me. It's a this guy named Stephen R. Smith. He comes from uh, Fullerton. And he's settled oh. in the Bay Area, Bay Area, and um, he's made a few records. And he's he's a he's also an instrument builder, which I find kind of interesting. He's obsessed with like Eastern European culture, mm. and um, he put out this record. This is his first record, self-titled. The band's called Halastrana, which means uh, in Bulgarian it means Salt Beach. And this is on a label called Emperor Jones, which I'm completely unfamiliar with. And the, the song I'm going to play, self uh, titled album, is called Quarter Mesto.
It just kind of ends. <laughs> oh, you cut it off, dude. You cut it off. No, it just ended. That's the end of the Are song. You serious? That's the end of the song, my man. At least uh, the one you sent me. Just ends. <laughs> oh, shit, man. Send another minute to it, man. That's a cool. That's cool. Anyways, you get a good feel for it. Guy uh, plays like you know, he's mainly a guitar player, but like you know, and there's uh, actually usually there's no percussion, but like there's some smashing around of some things. So like, uh, have you ever played the hurdy gurdy? I mean, like you know, I'd say you know, it's one of those songs. Like, I listen to a song like that, and I'm like, it doesn't doesn't have a percussionist very often, but fuck, I could have played on that, you know. <laughs> so Bob, yeah. we we didn't plan this, and I didn't mention it prior to play, you playing that song. You know this dude, too? I, I released an album of his. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I don't uh, have it, do I? I think you do. <clears throat> it's called Slate Branches. It was the last release I did on Little Brother. It was under his name, Stephen R. Smith, because he was in, prior to, prior to, I don't know why he went from, he released two or three records as Stephen R. Smith, one of which I put out, called Slate Branches. Never. Uh, I, mean, I don't think I ever listened to it, Mike. You should. I think I sent you a copy. <laughs> if not, <laughs> let me know, and I will. Um, I still have copies of it available. So you it, made like eighteen thousand of those. I made. Got, like, I made three hundred screen printed covers that I printed myself. Um, pay. Oh no! You. How'd you do that? You, you could screen print. I. I used to have a little screen printing setup. Um, two different screens. Uh, two colors. Uh, on red paper. And uh, yeah, I put that out in about 2000. It was the last release on Little Brother. Um, and then he... The end of the line. He changed his his solo name to, you know, Halastrana. Yeah. But prior to that, he was in a band called um, Ursa Minor. They, were, they also, I, I think, changed their name to Mirza, M-I-R-Z-A, um, kind of a like more of a rock band post rock when if it was if that was a term but yeah he's um he, i love his stuff obviously and you call him up can you like let's uh, get him on the podcast I, we, we'll maybe i haven't talked to him in probably f- at least 15 years maybe close to 20 years but yeah I, i'm i'm sure i could i could reach out to him he, he um he does a label called worst wood worst word worst word recordings w o r S T A W A R D, I think, um, yeah. where he puts out a lot of his own stuff and does small editions. But uh, super, super great guy, very interesting musician. Um, and maybe yeah. at some point I'll play. Oh, I had no idea. We've been. I we've loved been, it. Yeah, we've been rambling, so I won't play uh, one of the songs that I released. But maybe at a future show we'll dive in. Yeah, because I, I like, I love like about ten of them. Off of like the, I mean, like love, like you know, because like I have the most um, inane commute in the history of work. I drive from Des Moines to Altoona, Iowa, and like he's been on heavy rotation since I started work again at the racetrack a couple couple months ago. Yeah. You know? Well, well, take a look. If I didn't send you a copy, I can at least send you. I can I can get you MP3s and I can send you the vinyl of of that the one that I put out. I think you'll dig it. Oh, fantastic! Well, I mean, I'll I'll get on the, after the show. I'll get on your Bandcamp page. What's the address for that? Again? I don't I don't think I have any listed on Bandcamp because he actually has his own Bandcamp, and I didn't want to just like take it over. But I do have vinyl copies available if anyone's interested. 
Yeah, and and how do you? What's the uh, Earl or the what do you call the website? Uh, there's not really an Earl for it, to be honest. Um, yeah, I don't even know what an Earl is. What does that stand for, Earl? Uh, Mike, you know that? Yeah, I don't remember. United Sorry. Research Laboratories. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, but his so he doesn't have any of the vinyl, but you can do the digital version of it. Um, I'm so embarrassed. I might own some Stephen R. Smith, and I only really discovered him as Hallis Strand in the last year. I might own some of there. <laughs> yeah, his his label, I mean. like I said, is Worst Word W O R S T W A R D dot Bandcamp dot com. And if you if you we're get... not trying to promote him, we're trying to promote Little Brother. Yeah, well, it says here it was yeah, released it's, via yeah, Little Brother recording artist Nels Klein in the program. It, That's right. It was released yeah. according to his page, which I. I trust him. I believe him. It was released May thirty first, two thousand. So it turns. This is what we're trying to do on this program now. We're trying to we're trying to rebuild an empire. Little Brother is going to be like the next big thing, man. This album, the album I put out, turned twenty one. A couple days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's like millions of record labels now, including my unrelated record label out of the house called Broker's Tip. Like I've never achieved the heights of Little Brother, and they went away in two (laughs) thousand. Now keep in mind, like. One of the records you put out, as I learned about earlier in the show, was originally meant for SST. Did you ever put out any, anything on SST, Nels? Oh, oh no, that's just it's a, that was the only possibility was that moment, and it's it's something for the history books. It was it got dissed by Greg Lewis, like like it's like not yeah. SST worthy, but they'd put out like you know. No, no, it wasn't. Always he wanted August, to put it out. Or like you know, it, always it, August, it, or you know. No, uh, no, it didn't even get that far. Alternatives, alternatives. It had to do with the percentages on the contract that were so out of date that I was just told, like, you cannot sign this contract. And when I tried to get them to talk to me about it, that was the end of the story. That's a move to Little Brother. It's a wise yeah. move, you know. We did a, a handshake wise deal. move for yeah. sure. <laughs> and, and, and I expanded the record and added some things I thought that it needed yeah. aesthetically. Perfect. Yeah, make it better. You made it better for Little Brother. I, I made it better, and as all my records are, too long. But, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's how I roll. I, I, I disagree wholeheartedly. Um, <laughs> anyway. Now well, I have to say, like, no, we're Bob, gonna get, we're I, love gonna get, I love that yeah. track, and I was imagining uh, this guy on a bill back then with Amps for Christ, then just, like, yeah. feeling that that open tune guitar love. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Well, we've been rambling. You're gonna go, you're gonna go, he's going to go to rock and roll legend territory here now, right? Isn't he? Yeah. Nels is going to play a legend. We've been rambling for a while. And Nels is, Nels is going to follow oh, oh, oh. it up with an well, okay. eight plus my, minute my, my long. My prelude to this is just <laughs> to say that when Mike asked me about this, well, you know, like two years ago or whatever, three, two and a half years ago, um, the, the three songs I presented were songs that I would listen to kind of for one reason or another over and over, yeah. uh, which, I, which I rarely do. Mm. So this, mm-hmm. this next song is a song when I would be uh, back in my hometown of Los Angeles, either from tour or when I was living in New York and had kept up my, my old place in Glendale for a while and, and I'd fire up my car briefly and drive around this is a song that is my maybe ultimate drive around song and how old were you like 18 no 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 i'm talking about when i was like like 
God, like 50 something. Like I'm oh, 65 okay. now. No, I would just be on tour and coming home. I didn't tour when I was young. I couldn't get anything going on. We were just playing weird music no one wanted to hear and not knowing what to do. So what no, was your I, first like what would you what was your first actual tour where you played like more than five shows like as a tour? Mike Watt, nineteen ninety five. Wow, man, I toured before you. No, no, I didn't tour till I was like in my uh 30 well into my 30s uh, what i did would do is like like vinnie golia uh quartet or quintet tours though that was maybe like two weeks maximum did you uh, hump your own gear well for, until i was in wilco yeah. yeah that was in 2000 2004 i joined wilco yeah. but then i still do when i do my own music of course what about wilco real quick do they have like um like in terms of the staff like the staff for wilco like, if you guys were, like, without the pandemic, if you were on tour tomorrow, like, if you had, like, the same staff, like, all the it way will, through. It like, will be the same. Yeah, the, so, like, who's, like, so let's talk about the, the real quick, just before you play the, the Rye Cooter <laughs> tune. Like, who are who are the dudes behind the, or the women, who are well, the people behind the scenes at Wilco? Well, the sound I mean, man, the same front of house sound man? Jeff's had the same front of house guy, Stan for well since uncle tupelo later uncle tupelo i think so just long standing years? like yeah so maybe going 30 on years tomorrow like going on tour tomorrow who's the staff dan will be there jared will be production manager and doing monitors uh pk pocket knife she'll be assistant tour manager eric frankhauser the the guitar the, the guitar tech thing has has become a little bit uh unpredictable since our old uh, long-standing Jeff's long-standing guitar tech retired, and uh, my guys have have either been fired or moved on to much higher-paying uh, and more touring artists. So, yeah, I've got guitar techs for you. Little I think that I have a guitar tech now. I I kind of refused one in the early days, thinking I was going to be Mr. Punk Rock, but I needed one. Uh, when well, anyway, I don't want to go into stories about that, but yeah, but, uh, it's good. It's like thirteen people, I think. Whoa, uh, man, that's a big yeah. staff. How many people no, on stage would you put overhead. up? Like, so if Wilco was playing tomorrow night in in Chicago at Pritzker, like uh, how many people would be on stage? Six. Six people in the band, yes. Yeah. Yeah, same six guys since I joined in 2004. Pat Sansone and I joined at the same time. It's been the same six guys for 17 years now. Solid lot. It's 17 yeah. years now. I can't believe it's been 17 years. Well, Think wait, about it, Mike. You, you, you have to X out a year here. because, like, well, you, you Yeah, uh, but I mean, we're still taking Zoom chats together because we miss each other. So, you know, <laughs> uh, that's true. That's, that's true. That's crazy. But anyway, this, so this Roy Cooter track. This is uh, Joaquin Cooter's, at that time, girlfriend and now wife, I believe, singing uh, in Spanish and, and a recording of some uh, old, uh, um, I guess, I don't really know who the guy is. It's like a long story. The Chavez Ravine is, you know, my hometown, Los Angeles, downtown where I was born. Yeah. Uh, tragic and weird story that Ry Cooter, like, 
took every angle on in this amazing and visionary way. But this track, which is unlike anything else on the record, with her amazing voice uh, about UFOs flying down into Chavez Ravine, which I think is weirdly timely now that we're all talking about military and uh, commercial airliner experiences of UFOs again uh, yeah. as real. As real. And it's got like maybe like a compu rhythm drum machine going, and uh, and it's just one of those things that you just trance out to, glide in your car. Yeah, we're gonna put you in the we're gonna put you in the back seat of Nell's car right now. There you go. Yeah. All right. L L U F O Kyo. This is episode one sixty three of Three Songs Pod. Yeah, from Ry Cooter. <laughs> Nosotros y a los nuestros nos van a mandar 
al valle más grande de México. Ese carnal, ¿sabes cuál es el valle más grande de México? Simón ese, el valle más grande de México es el valle mucho a la tinta chistosa ese. Bueno, ya estuvo cara de tubo. Agarren sus pampiaches y sálganse antes de que los amachurren. Y súbanse al platillo volador, el UFO. Y de volada, vámonos a volar ese vato. Porque en nuestro barrio ya se lo jamparon los caballos. He dicho, no se agüite, cara de esquite. Ya estuvo, cara de tubo.
Nels, I like three that. Three podcast. All three of your songs that you brought tonight have a definite mood. Yeah, he drives 31 and a 35. <laughs> he drives 31 miles an hour and a 35. And you, you with Omar Kashid, you drive 82 and a 70. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. No, I have I have my speed, uh, my I have my speedy moments for sure. Uh, <laughs> you but, learned to drive in LA, yeah, so I'm guess, sure. I, um, I'm not really. I couldn't be accused of driving too slow, but um, sometimes you got to go the distance, and the trance can help. Yeah. Yeah. What beautiful. do you drive? Well, I didn't drive for years. My dream was to never own a car again. Yeah. Uh, when I moved to New York, but now we're upstate and you can't live up here without a car. So we leased the only thing that really can, uh, everyone has up, well, half the people have up here, uh, uh, the all wheel drive world. No, totally. Same, the same as here. Subaru Outback, baby. <laughs> yeah, good choice, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh my God, I'm driving again. I just wanted to, to just, put it behind me after 50 plus years living in LA. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's okay. I like, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. And, and my wife is good with it. And we're just, we're just doing our thing. Yeah. That was a beautiful truck. What was it called again? What? what? Oh, oh, it's called L U F O Kyo. Right. What is it called? Mike? That's right. L U F O Kyo. Yeah. The UFO flies, you know, that's right. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. <laughs> it is, yeah. And I guess that's actually of trying to figure out because I'm. It's what year was that made? Uh, oh God, that's Two, a good question. Two thousand five, um, I think. Is that right? Early two thousands. Yeah. It's like oh, so like you know later modern Rai Cooter. not the earliest like, you know, of the Rai guitar legends of all time. Yeah, yeah, but it might have been his first recording for Nonesuch. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, big concept record, very very wide ranging. He heard his sly reference to, to, to tequila by the champs mm-hmm. in his like tiny guitar moment, which is very wonky and almost tossed off sounding, mm-hmm. and which I love. Yeah, exactly. But the record has like crazy, like almost like uh, like radio uh, drama moments, and like it, it's really wild. And the the history of the Chavez Ravine in the already tawdry history of Los Angeles is is tragic and fascinating. And um, if you haven't read Ry Cooter's book that City Lights put out called Los Angeles Stories, I highly recommend it because uh, it's just, it's fiction, but he just draws on his incredibly deep and obsessive knowledge of where he grew up, which which ironically, in terms of the exact book. Turns out to be mere blocks from where my brother and I grew up. Wow, uh, that's, literally. Cool. that's cool. Yeah, like like right near the Santa Monica Airport, also where the the great woodwind player who lives in New York, Doug Weaselman, grew up. Buttercup, what? <laughs> uh, hey, yeah, Buttercup. Ch- well, you know, she hears Mr. Twinkles. Yeah, Buttercup has uh, Mr. Guess, something to announce. But yeah, here we go. Um, yeah. So He's awake. It's it's funny. <laughs> oh, it's a he. Buttercup's a boy. No, she's a girl. And okay, yeah, she, I was gonna say it's a, it's you know. 
She's 13 years old and uh, she's heart. awake. Mm, he's doing yeah. good. He's yeah. doing good. Yeah. She almost died this year. So we're really happy Wait. she's still here. Yeah. Pneumonia almost took her away from us, but mm. she's okay. Buttercup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Mike, Bob, Mike's, you know, Mike's got Ragsy. Mike's got Ragsy. Ra- Ragsy's 14. Rags is Pomeranian yeah. as well. Yeah. Nels knows Rags. 14. Yeah. yeah. Rags. Um, yeah. All right. Name- after rags in sleeper um no it was more of, she was like the rags to riches dog because she was she was from from the rescue and she was not in great shape you know uh like but you know you know it rags in sleeper right uh i haven't seen sleeper in okay so revisit long. and then we'll get i'll, okay. I'll get back to okay. you on that okay okay <laughs> all right mike I'm going to play a current band from the UK, from London. And this is a trio. This is a trio. I'm going to play a song they released on their 2019 album called Do Not Be Afraid. They they put out an album last year, in early 2020, called uh, What's Not Enough About That. Um, so they're still going. They're a going concern. You know, I hope that they will be playing shows. They're They're somewhat... Obscure though, um, I don't yeah, think Vula Veal. widely well known. Uh, Vula, yeah, Vula Veal. Vula Veal. Uh, a trio featuring on, uh, I guess it's pronounced Gile, Gile, G Y L L, which is a Ghanaian. No, it's a Gil. A Ghanaian uh, xylophone. Um, yeah, Gile. Bass and drums, so Bex Birch, uh, Ruth Goler, and then Jim Hart on drums. Um, I just love this album, love their sound. Uh, I love the Geo. I'll play it for you, yeah. Um, this one's called I Love You off of Do Not Be Afraid, Vula Viel. Enjoy. Fantastic.
Vula VL. Nice. Oh, man, I dig that. Yeah. See. The whole album's and great. I mean, just... It's really cool, like, you know, London band, you know, and so, like, it's a celebration of a instrument, I think the most famous instrument that's from Ghana, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, and the the main guy, what's his name, Birch? Uh, Bex. It's a woman. Uh, I think it's short for uh, Rebecca, Bex Birch. Uh, oh, Bex Birch, sorry. Yeah, yeah she she's yeah. the one that plays that instrument. I think she sings some it's of the like vocals. like a ball of... I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just a beautiful, like, both the records are great. Um, very well, Nels, like, you're, Nels, you're a brilliant musician. Like, uh, like, can you play the xylophone? Like, you've. Like, you no, oh, no, 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 no. You've yeah. never, like, you know, like, like are, you've had to have played percussion in your life, right? I love like, playing percussion, but tuned percussion, mallet percussion, no, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> My well, brother doesn't even do that, and he's quite the percussionist. Well, yeah, Bex Birch, you know, like, she, sorry, because I don't know much about this band, other than, like, listening to them today, when Mike told me that he played them, you know, that's a fucking amazing instrument, the, the yeah. G-Y-I-L, the G-O. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Anyway, check them out. Um, it's Beautiful. all similar, very percussive, just, like, amazing stuff. Anyway, I'm going to actually end the show tonight with a discussion point. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it's like one of these things that like I'm rather confused by throughout my experiences being, mm-hmm. you know, as a member of bands. But like, it's a band called Dirty Projectors that are, you know, pretty famous. Sure. Indie, indie rock Brooklyn, band. baby, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know if you know these people. I don't. It's mainly mainly one guy in a revolving door. Of musicians, which I assume he's like hired and fired, and like um, his name is David so, yeah. Longstreth. And um, I'll just play the song, and we'll talk about it afterwards. Um, you know, he's, I, I mean, uh, in Brooklyn, like you know, I my experiences in Brooklyn sort of ended in the '90s. You know, like and, and you've lived there. Like, what years did you live in Brooklyn? No, it's only the last few years because I was living in the West Village before that, and. Uh, my, but I've spent time in Brooklyn since the but in New York City. Like what years? Since what years like, did you? What years did you spend in New York City? Uh, two thousand nine till last year. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like, I, I lived like in that area. I was a New York City bus driver from eighty nine oh, to ninety three, <laughs> and like, um, I left, you know, to move to Louisville because, like, you know, payment started touring, and it made no sense for me to play. I was I was living in Hoboken, you know, right by Maxwell. Okay, like, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. you know, I lived in a two bedroom apartment that cost eight fifty. That cost probably cost forty five hundred now. You know. Yeah, right. And right. Yeah, we all know the, that story. And um, but like, my returns to Brooklyn have been like odd. You know, like I've mm. seen like you know most of my friends kind of you know get priced out of the area, but like. Um, that's all beside the point. I'm gonna play. I we'll talk about it later, um, or until the show ends. So I'm gonna play "Dirty Projectors" off of the uh, two, two, <laughs> 2018 album on a, on, a, on a, it's it's like an indie rock hit. Um, it's off an album called Lamplit Prose, which came out on Domino, and it's called Breakthrough.
What's up? How's it going? Neo real cheekbone. She is so dreamy. Like she got features on Fellini. Deadpan, unimpressed. Archimedes, problem obsessed. Just hanging out. Or Julian Casablanca. She's at Epiphany. So that's like um, 3D projectors, like it's a big hit for them, Breakthrough. And guys work with, I mean, just like one of those people has been around for 20 years. You just said like, you know, Wilco, like 17 years, same lineup. This guy's like, you know, collaborated with like tons of David Longstreth, 
And one interesting thing about him, like, I don't know any of these people or the scene or anything that's going on there. It's like, nor do I, Bob. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, um, one interesting thing about him is like, uh, doing some research. He's one of those people that like, um, thinks interviews or interviews of any kind are like a complete waste of time because like he has to repeat himself and like, you know, it just like, um, and I, I, I can't help but think about all the bands like from like the, from my experience, whether it's like a tiny first issue fanzine or anything that like wouldn't have, wouldn't welcome the opportunity to talk about their experience. Like, so he's like kind of like Lou reading it, like, you know, like I'm going to be a dick in interviews, you know, like um, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, like it's like it's part of the job, man. Like you've had to do like. Well, but isn't that isn't like, that just like a different kind of the persona, different, different kind of the brand that you're putting out, right? Like you're representing I don't yourself. I as... no, man. Like I'll talk to anybody about it. Anything at any time, as, as you know, you know, like it's uh, oh, this is a complicated topic, <laughs> very complicated now, especially in tennis, yeah, <clears throat> I mean, right, 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 yeah, yeah, because like Wilco, say- like Wilco, like you know, if you think Wilco, like, and I don't know who, like, you know, handles the interviews, but like, even like you doing this show tonight, like, you're you know, you're happy to talk about your musical experience, you know, like, uh. Well, you know I'm loquacious and I'm available. You know, I, 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 I I'm completely accessible. But and, and you've got great stories. So you could talk. You could talk about Ry Cooter for an hour and a half if you needed. Yeah, you know. yeah. But but the thing is that the Bob, I'm not the voice in people's heads. So the singer sometimes has a different view of this. Right. Uh, right. It doesn't matter what you do in the band. No, but if people are crazy. Like like to talk to the singer. They're fucking crazy sometimes. Right. So so there's that. And there's sometimes the singer is very neurotic or or whatever. But but my reaction to the song that we just heard, which I somehow managed to uh, have never heard because I live under uh, some sort of weird rock. You probably heard that, it like you know, like when he went into like a retail store. It's probably yeah. You know? I mean, but but I think I would have noticed the incredible sound design or production or whatever you want to call it. It's yeah. a really it's an astonishing mixture of something that sounds like it might be ironic and something that that is incredibly technically uh just masterful right stylistically it refers to a kind of genre of music that that i do associate with generally kind of walking into a store and hearing rather than playing on my personal stereo mm-hmm. but it has uh an innovative an arresting uh, sound design. And uh, so I, I would have to say that that's like kind of like A plus on levels that I basically kind of ultimately uh, have no interest in. Same but, thing, like, same right. exact but, thing. Like, yeah, you that's, know, it's just like, but like, I mean, you know, the name checks Julian jo- Casablancas, and right. I don't know what else was going on there. And I don't care if he does interviews or doesn't, you know, uh, but but uh, I think that was a masterful piece of of pop craft. Um, and same, uh, I, but like I at the same time, like, um, how do you feel about like um, so like um, and I'm actually 
going to continue this discussion, Mike, if you don't mind. <laughs> okay. Um, there's a uh, there's a song called. Uh, you're familiar with the uh, the band The Knife. It's a electronic duo from Stockholm, I believe. Their, their biggest hit is, is a song called Heartbeats by the mm-hmm. by a band called The Knife. Okay, and like it's like to me, it's like got like weird ripoff elements of like this song the, the of this huge european hit mm-hmm. okay which is odd you know mm-hmm. like i don't know mike do you have, can you cue that up uh the knife uh the knife the knife heart <laughs> just like one minute of it uh all right i'll i'll, I'll do i'll do what no, i just fucking weird to me like you know like um because they're you know they're not obscure but like it is like i don't know how modern music works and I'm not trying so, to cause any I, hell, but like I have, it does freak me out. I pulled up heartbeats. So according to Spotify, this song has had sixty-two million hits, sixty-two million plays. Um, yeah, and I'm pretty sure I've never heard it. Yeah, so, yeah, here, so that's fine. That's We're really gonna yeah. are we gonna go there? We're we gonna play a little. We're gonna give him another. Give him another hit. Yeah, play it a minute of this and like see how it compares to that dirty projector song. Alright. Cut it off. Alright. I'll I'll fade it. bigger like pop song um and i think basically like you know breakthrough is like so it had none of the syncopation it had none of the syncopation none of the 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 incredibly uh i I would say um well not not incredibly but the idiosyncrasies of the projector song are not there it's like it's, it's like a million well i'm saying meet him in the middle it's like a million vocal. euro sort of groovy euro synth type songs you know the play two, cor- the same speed, two big like, chords play them both, both at 37 rpm <laughs> <laughs> essentially have the same fucking song you know obviously like you know but like so you, you listen to music but i i did have a weird saint vincent vibe coming from that knife song yeah uh I don't know yeah, which well, that's because, because, like, no, the knife came sixteen years before. So you know, you uh, have the Saint uh, Vincent. Uh, uh, uh-huh. so anyway, so so cue up some Saint Vincent. I'm just uh, kidding. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, like as they say, like if we were on the same hockey line, you know, like you know, if we were, we were all three, like if you know, like a world class hockey line, like great doing a show with you, Nelsie. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? We're on the same yeah, hockey yeah, line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, 
Mike Kihoga just scored a goal. I, I, um, there you go. Ninth of the season. Nice assist. I was, I was hoping we would end it. So Nels, before Bob, before you joined, when Nels and I were, (laughs) were, were chatting on, on Skype before everything started, I was mentioning this CDR that Nels made. Uh, boy, refresh my memory. This would have been early 2000s, and it would have been before, certainly before you joined Wilco, when you were looking yep. to score some work doing uh, film and TV uh, music, right? Yeah. So, so I was kind of the instrumental composer at a very short, uh, what turned out to be a short-lived publishing company called M3. And uh, I think they were around lo- much longer before I came on board. But anyway, I got no work um, from I, any of this, to be honest. But I made with my absolutely beautiful friend, Wayne Pete, in his uh, garage, which is also where I recorded uh, those Miniman songs for you, Mike. Yep. Uh, and also Sad yep. and, and uh, the extra tracks from chest mm-hmm. were recorded uh oh and and uh not on little brother but uh ground all recorded in my uh dear friend wayne pete's garage in mar vista west los angeles and uh, uh so i did i just basically i think wayne might have played some keyboards on a couple of things but i basically played all the instruments on these tracks that i thought were sort of generic uh, and amusing, and some of them are serious. <laughs> uh, but this one, uh, I asked Mike, I, I couldn't even remember uh, what was exactly on this CDR, um, yep. the cover. It's it's basically in French. It's it's basically songs from movies that didn't exist. Yeah, these films and, don't exist, but their music does, is the name. Of yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, there's a pirated... Uh, portrait of a silhouette of drew barrymore on the cover of the i think i might have made 10 of these or 20 of these cdrs and uh and i have somebody recently asked me about it um just a few days ago uh really me to get get them a copy of new york it upset new york well no oh no it was a friend of mine that i knew back not a a, a guy at the hardware store no no (laughs) and he just lost his he lost his copy He's in. Uh, he's outside of D.C. now, but he was living in Los Angeles then, and was a. Uh, he's a lovely person named Jeff McClure. But but uh, uh, but I, I literally this is coming back to haunt me is my point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and it's it's a it's highly entertaining, but I actually haven't listened to it um, I, until it's, the two tracks that Mike it's, ran it's, by me. It's seventy five <laughs> seconds long, so. I yeah, want to I want I want to end the show with it, and I want to hear uh, open mic live mic. I want to hear Nell's reaction as we play it. No, I'm gonna laugh. Well, yeah, that's right. okay. That's good. Uh, <laughs> right, the song yeah. is it's it was it was called Road. According to Rolling Stone magazine, the 82nd best guitar player of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> friend of, my friend Billy in Chicago made me a shirt on the back. It says, "I'm number 82." <laughs> yeah, yeah. The funny thing about that is, like, I've got a, I've got a, one of my best friends, a guy named Gary Smith, who's like was a great goaltender in the NHL for 18 years, and he played for nine different teams, and. Uh-huh. Um, and he's a very modest man. You'd love him. He's seventy. He's seventy nine now. Wow. And, um, or he, actually, that's 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 actually lying. That's, that's he's actually seventy six now. 
He's got okay. no teeth. He played. He played. He played goalie in the NHL with no helmet on, mate. You know. <laughs> oh my and, God. Uh, I mean, the stories he tells, but like, uh, he, he. They recently did the list of the hundred greatest Vancouver Canucks of all time. This guy's like really modest. They, I think they listed him at number thirty, and he said, "I kind of got screwed there." Then he's like the least braggingest person I've ever known. He said. Uh. He said, I definitely should have been between 15 and 20. It's the first time I've ever heard him get short. First time I've ever got shortchanged. You know what I mean? So, you know, so yeah, then, like that. Well, yeah, you're number 82. You know, this, you're good with that. You're good with that. I'm, this stuff is so, this Rolling Stone stuff, it's just ridiculous. Come on. I'm in between I don't even Lou Reed. I'm, I'm in between, I remember it because I'm in between Lou Reed and Eddie Hazel. I mean, what does <laughs> yeah, that even exactly. mean? <laughs> yeah. And like Pavement has three albums That's on their company. top 500 of all time, and like they're, I think they're the three least selling records. <laughs> well, I mean, sales. Hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. So, anyways, uh, all right. Anyways, someday, okay, so I'll, my, so, someday our ship, our ship will come in, Nels. Well, the, <laughs> oh no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Bob. I, oh yeah. No complaint. No complaint. Uh, yeah. I, I'm the luckiest man in showbiz, and also. Bob, I'm second luckiest. Much day. love to you. At least you can, least you can play, Nels. At least you can play. I'm still <laughs> alive. I'm, I'm ambulatory. M- much yeah, love to you yeah. both. Let's get you back. Let's get it out of the woods and back on the stage, mate. This, this, I have to say, I have to, I have to pause and say how much I've enjoyed this. Two of my favorite people on the planet together on this. I mean, we've spent two and a half hours talking and listening to music, and um, yeah, Ed, it makes I've make us sound good for. Fuck's I've been sake. I've been smiling <laughs> the whole time, so thank you both, but Bob. I think the yeah. last time, Bob, I think the last time I actually saw you in the flesh was so long ago. It may have been uh, when the Geraldine Fibbers opened for Pavement at the Club Congress in Tucson. That sounds about right. That was a good ninety-seven, nineteen ninety-seven. I'll tell you what, Nels. Yep. I know you're looking pretty good, and so am I. So let's keep it rolling. Man. Yeah. Thank well, you yeah. so much, Bob. Yeah, love, yeah, love you. you, man. He, here's here's yeah. Road Crew, or sorry, Road Q Trucker from Nels Klein's <laughs> These Films Don't Exist, But Their Music Does. <laughs> Enjoy. Play the 45-minute version. Yeah. Yeah, see you soon. <laughs> see you soon. I'll see you out there. See you soon. Love you both. Indeed, thank indeed. You. Probably seen Des Bob. Mike, thank you. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Pleasure. Be well, both of you. Thank you, everyone. Man, much love. Thank yeah. you.